Hello and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Morgan and this is my co-host Gavia. Hello. So today we are talking about A Star is Born. A Star is Born is a remake of a remake of a remake and one of the most hyped movies of 2018. Starring Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper, who also wrote and directed the movie, it's a musical drama about a rock star and an unknown singer-songwriter who meet and fall in love. For the benefit of listeners who haven't seen the movie yet, we'll wait until the end of the podcast to discuss major spoilers. So I literally just saw this film. I sort of dashed home from the movie, and I'm here now to discuss it. I did a, a great double bill of Venom and A Star is Born this morning. Yeah, the two movies that came out this week, yes. which are just neck and neck, and they do have an overlap in terms of demographic, and that is us at this podcast, because after this, we're about to record a mini-sode on Venom for our Patreon people. <laughs> uh, I may be the only person in New York to see both of these films today, and that's fine. Uh, I enjoyed both of them very much. They are very different. Uh, so yeah, this movie has been in development for something like eight years with a different directors and actors attached to it. Yeah, at one point they were going to make it Beyonce, which would have been a very different film, partly because Beyonce, unless a lot has changed, is not the finest of actors. Yes. She is better at everything else, yes. as we know. <laughs> and then the trailer for this dropped several months ago and is one of the most watched like things on youtube of the past however many years and i found the trailer to be extremely bad so i was so puzzled by this right because like when i saw i saw like two-thirds of the trailer i was like i can't be fucking bothered with this so i was like this movie looks schmaltzy it looks bad like i didn't get it at all i was like i don't understand why people like i mean to me it just looked like a bad nicholas sparks movie right yeah and then it started playing at film festivals and pretty much every single film critic I follow on social media was like, this is the film of the year. It's a masterpiece. They're all going to win Oscars for it. And I was just deeply baffled. And it was like, it did, initially, I would not even have watched this movie, but the hype was so high that I went to see it. And having seen it, you know, it's great. It's really good. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> I enjoyed myself more at this movie than probably at any movie I have seen this year. It is not a perfect film. Uh, I think the main criticism I've seen of it, which I agreed with for sure, is that the first half is a lot better than the second half. But I experienced just a pure joy watching the first half of this movie that I have not felt in many months. And it's been interesting watching the social media sort of buzz around this film, both from film critics who have seen it at festivals and sort of went haha gaga for it, and then from people who maybe work in media but aren't film critics and then also just sort of like lay people who are also totally losing their shit over it there have been memes all over twitter with screen caps from the trailer which if you are listening to this podcast there is a high likelihood you have seen people are just losing their minds and i think that is absolutely tied to the fact that the world is going to hell and this is a very very sincere movie about emotions and it's just fun to watch and People just want something to think about that isn't the nightmare of politics. And this is not a political movie. It is a movie about, again, emotions in a sincere way that is pretty uncommon in like mainstream media at this point. I think it's not ironic at all. And I think that people, it's just connecting with people in like a major, major way. And like, I felt it myself, even though I didn't think it was perfect. It just... It has a transporting quality 
that is rare, and that's why it's going to win every Oscar. That's the that's and my also thesis. the music is good. Yes, which I, I have I have like an in depth discussion to have about the main song later on in the podcast because yeah. you know I love me some music, mm-hmm. but um, it is very rare. First of all, for there to be like a contemporary music where the music is new and is good, you know, like a like a, a musical that isn't like a remake of like an old Broadway musical or a jukebox mu- musical, and B a musical where the genre is like contemporary pop. Because like in this movie, um, Bradley Cooper's character Jackson Maine is this very famous country rock star, like long established playing to stadiums. And uh, Lady Gaga's character Ali is this completely unknown singer songwriter who like just works in like a day job and then sings in a drag bar at night. And she writes very sincere sort of singer songwriter music. And when they come together, they sort of blend their styles and he like helps her achieve fame. And then sort of as she becomes more famous, her style becomes more sort of techno pop because she has a producer. But um, that type of music, usually when you have a musical, that is new and it's using contemporary pop styles there will be maybe one song that's fairly good and everything else will be completely forgettable and in this they really genuinely they did some legit fucking good music like from the very first scene where you see like jackson main it opens with him playing to this stadium and playing this country rock song and i was like this seems like it absolutely legitimately could be something that has been bought millions of times by someone's dad in america to play on the road like completely real and obviously like lady gaga I think wrote some or all of her songs for this because like she's an amazing songwriter and she intentionally made sure that they don't sound like her style except when she gets a bit more poppy towards the end but um they also were like really good but I will I will discuss the hit song later. <laughs> You're right about the music being good and it, it being a huge part of what makes this enjoyable right like from the beginning of the sound era people have liked watching you know music on film and there is something really electric about really well shot musical scenes. I yeah, was... I mean, for me, it's like this is literally the opposite of La La Land. Yes. Which people will know from last year, I fucking hated that movie. But like the issue with that film, right, is like one of the many issues. <laughs> the music is not good, right? They've got their one song, which is like, okay, the music in that movie is generally not good. And it's performed by people who are like not especially great singers. And also the relationship is just like sexist and really ill-conceived. Whereas in this, it's a sincere relationship where you can actually see characters whose personalities and interests mesh, which in the world of mainstream heterosexual romance films is rare. Yes. Well, you think about this compared to something like Crazy Rich Asians, which I don't want to shit on because I enjoyed that a lot. And it's a very, very different film. But if you think just specifically about like the characters and their relationship, the main characters in that movie don't have any personalities and you just have to believe that they're a couple and if you like although yeah because like that story is not about people falling in love it's about people who are already in love but i do agree that their personalities are like no yeah i'm just using that as an example because it just came out and it's something that is like is still on my mind because i saw it recently right and a lot of people who are listening to this will have seen it too and you know if you buy into it you know fine whatever but This movie does such a huge amount of work to make both of them seem like actual human beings who then fall in love in a way that makes sense, even if it isn't actually the best sort of like thing for them to be doing. So, you know, Jackson, Bradley Cooper's character is a serious alcoholic when the movie starts and Allie, Lady Gaga's character, observes this on like the second time she, you know... I mean, from the first night she meets him, but particularly the second time. And um, 
they developed this relationship anyway, and there are things that are really positive about it. And then she also is dealing with him when he's like a drunken mess. And that obviously presents increasingly larger issues the longer their relationship goes on because he's getting worse and worse as addicts tend to do. And all of this is just kind of complicated and interesting in a way that reflects how like human beings are. And that is not something that you usually get from studio movies in 2018. And that I think is also part of the reason why people are freaking out about it so much is that it's like a big studio film with big famous people in it. It it has big emotions, but also feels kind of grounded and real in a way that these movies don't tend to anymore. It's kind of a unicorn in that way. Yeah. I mean, it's really fascinating Like when you think about the basic concept of the love story, which is the most cliched idea, which is that a girl gets plucked out of nowhere and kind of the key thing of their meeting is that when they meet, he's incredibly impressed by seeing her perform in this drag bar and it's like, she's an amazing singer. Um, and they meet and she has no interest in celebrity as a concept and is basically just finds it like really distasteful and unpleasant when people approach him as a celebrity. Um, and that's kind of like the premise of it is like the whole movie is about stardom, as you can probably tell from the title, which is like the ultimate cliche where it's like, yes, you know, if a hot famous guy loves me because I see him as him. But the kind of the way it's executed is so naturalistic that it works really well and the dialogue is always it always feels really natural even the handful of points where they're using like a straightforward over-the-top romance line because in real life sometimes you, people do speak in cliches so like the big thing that was like the meme um i think i saw maybe cal buchanan sort of remarking about this on twitter new york times film critic guy he said something he was like you know when you watch the movie one of the astounding things is that moments that have become a meme from the trailer still feel authentic in the movie because there's this meme which like at this point everyone's seen where it's like Bradley Cooper kind of rolls down his car window and is like stop I want to see you one more time and it looks so fucking hokey in these memes and then when you watch in the movie you're like okay this is legit like it's completely I'm not like oh I'm crying here but it works in the context of the movie and the rest of their relationship is so sincere and thoughtful that it's not just like a schmaltzy Nicholas Sparks line because the rest of it is them having these conversations about creativity and their kind of background and alcoholism and like him nurturing her but not in like a weird older man sexist way which is fucking magical because how can you make a movie about this like grizzled old celebrity man nurturing a younger woman and it doesn't seem sexist? Well yeah, there were people were kind of talking about this on Twitter the other day. There was I just saw some kind of general discussions about whether it was schmaltzy and i actually don't think it is with maybe one or two small exceptions of of scenes throughout yeah it only is compared to every other movie that the people who are watching right well right and this is again so i think it was kyle buchanan also who tweeted like i keep seeing people saying this film is campy but like i don't think it is at all and every single person who replied right every single person who replied was like absolutely not and i think and i think he also said, like, we've just forgotten how to have emotions. <laughs> like, it's just that the movie is so unbelievably sincere, like I was saying, that it is quite different for most things get, that get made. But that's not the same as schmaltz, which is like performed emotion that doesn't feel like it's coming from a real place and is trying to get you to like cry just to get you yeah i mean it's not like a christmas movie (laughs) yes no this feels you can feel how much bradley cooper means all of it right like it's so serious to him 
and when it's serious to the person who's making the movie, even if the sort of situations are sometimes large and dramatic, like it is about famous people, right? So like at one point she's performing on like SNL or something, which obviously most of us do not have any context for. It still feels really grounded because it's coming from such a real place from the filmmaker. And I just was so impressed by that, even when I didn't think the whole, the movie was working 100%, uh, which I'll talk a little bit about, more about later, because I just was not expecting that from Bradley Cooper at all, I will confess. Part of what was kind of, I think, making everyone question this before it came out was that he was directing it. And never um, directed a movie before. Exactly. And he, and also we're like, it's American Sniper. Because I was like, I don't know if I trust American Sniper, who also seems like he might be a bit of a dummy. Well, well so I want to talk about Bradley Cooper a little bit here as like a famous person. Because... Go ahead, my dear. Yes, I have so many thoughts about <laughs> Bradley Cooper. Take the stage, Bradley yes. Cooper's Dan. <laughs> well, no, see, this is the thing, is right? So he had a moment a few years ago, more than a few years ago, where he got nominated for three Oscars in the span of three or four years. Like, he... It was big. So he... The first one was for Silver Linings Playbook, which is a film with a lot of problems, but he is really, really great in it. I remember seeing it and thinking, like, oh... Bradley Cooper can really act. Like, wow, it was really impressive to me because I'd seen him in things like Wedding Crashers, which was kind of the his image at that point, right? And then the next year, he was in American Hustle, which is another movie by David O. Russell. Uh, and he was playing a sort of side character who is it's a pure comedy role. And he should have won an Oscar for it. He is so funny in that movie. I cannot even describe to you. There's one scene in particular where I can vividly remember like actually crying. I was laughing so hard. I then saw him in The Elephant Man on Broadway, which was like his obsession from a child. It was what made him want to act was seeing the David Lynch movie. And he was really, really amazing in it. And he just was very interesting. Like he went to Georgetown. He's practically fluent in French. Like his interviews, he's clearly a really smart guy. And then he did American Sniper and was like obsessed with Clint Eastwood. And I was sort of like, Hmm. This weird like butch hmm. thing had happened. Cause that was the point where I like, he really came onto hori my horizon. Cause he was simultaneously American Sniper, which first of all, I've, I've not watched, but also I find just hilarious and distasteful at the same time. But then very quickly off the back of that, he also like came back to do like his little, tiny role in Wet Hot American Summer where he's oh, hysterically funny. <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh, that's beautiful. So if you take the sum of his career, this he's done kind of two kinds of roles. And there's a lot of variety within this, but he's done either roles that are primarily kind of about masculine anxiety, right? And so the stuff I've described that I just said was good all falls into that category. And there's some other stuff that you can put in there too. And then he's done other roles that are just, like, macho stuff. So, like, American Sniper is very much in that category. It's a obviously a politically objectionable movie in many ways, but it's also just not very interesting, and he's not very interesting in it. And part of that is the movie's just bad, but part of it also is that I think he's just miscast. Like, he's, he's good at depicting this kind of, like, discomfort with masculinity and anxiousness about himself and in that movie like there's some stuff with ptsd at the end but for the most part he's just like really good at his job it's yeah. just not that and also the concept of that is like the adulation of this person who was like despicable but the concept is that there was absolutely no discomfort whatsoever with his intense masculinity well, right exactly and again like the political stuff is is bad but if you're looking purely at the performance like it's just not it's just boring 
but people loved it. He got nominated for Oscar, whatever. And then he kind of disappeared a little bit. He did some supporting roles, but I think it was largely that he was working on this movie. And what's so interesting is that you can tell from this that he's really, really critical of the celebrity industrial complex. But he's also someone who like shows up on really famous people's yachts all the time. And it's like seen in paparazzi photos quite a bit. So he's very much part of it. While also- and is married to like an underwear model. Right. But also clearly understands the genders. Right. The whole thing is really, he's just, I find him really fascinating. But I think because that was the last big thing he, he'd done, American Sniper, and then because he kind of faded away a little bit, my previous regard for him, I just kind of forgotten a little bit. And then the trailer for this came out. And obviously, if someone's never directed a movie, and particularly if they're a really famous actor, that's always a little bit like, oh, what's this going to be like? Mm. And the way I kept describing the trailer was that there were so many loving close-ups of his own face in it that I was like, oh, no, what's this going to be? But it's not like that. But it's not like that at all. And I just, it's just really impressive. Like, cats off to you. I don't know how he did it. For this movie, like, I've seen a lot of people, like, jizzing over Lady Gaga's performance. And I, first of all, I love Lady Gaga, and I thought she was really good in this. It wasn't one of these things I was like, oh, this is one of these performances I'm going to remember for the ages. I was just like, she's done a really good job in this dramatic role. And I think part of it is people are just like, oh my god, she doesn't look like Lady Gaga, and she's not wearing a meat dress, and it's like, calm the fuck down. But she, obviously, no, like, disrespect to Gaga, whom, once again, I love. But for me, I was definitely thinking more about Bradley Cooper's role and performance because I felt like you could really see all the gender stuff that Bradley Cooper's aware of because, you know, he created this role. So his, his introduction and his appearance are very clear right from the very beginning. He looks like a sunburned alcoholic. They've given him makeup where it's like he's very kind of florid and kind of greasy all the way through um, in an attractive way, obviously, because it's Bradley Cooper. And he, the way he speaks, it's, it's very much the speech pattern of someone who is habitually drunk. So even in the scenes where you know he's sober, he still has this sort of mumble. But at the same time, even though they've they've cast him as this person who... You know, he, he's a drunk, he's like a southern country musician, um, and he's in this like very male-dominated masculine environment. But they've taken such care for him not to seem like a threatening or overly macho person. While at the same time, it's not like, oh, here's someone who's really subversive. It's just like, here's someone who is genuinely really sincere. Like he has a lot of emotional problems and he's lonely and he's miserable, but he's not, apart from in one scene where he has a fight with someone, he's like, he... He just seems like a really caring person who's reaching out for for a connection and also not really needy. And the introduction was so great for me because basically the, the first thing you see is like you see him do this concert and then he's drunk and he wants to find a bar. So he just like stumbles into the bar where Lady Gaga is performing. And it makes it absolutely clear from the get go for like all the women and gay men in the audience, which is like the majority of this audience is like taking out a full page advert. Like Bradley Cooper's character is not a homophobe. <laughs> he goes into he goes into this drag bar. He's like unfamiliar with the terrain, but he's just very chill, makes friends with people at the bar and then like hangs out afterwards and like flirts with Lady Gaga in like a non-threatening way and asks if he can stay behind afterwards and understands the signal she's sending out. And then he sings a song for one of the drag queens. It just sets him out as this person who you're like, I don't feel like this guy is going to like fly off the handle or be a creep. And it was also like a nice reminder for me because I was like watching it. I was like, yeah, you know, I, I do not understand now that sometimes men can approach women and it's like not an unpleasant experience. Because <laughs> I'm basically like 
1% of the time when men approach me, I'm like, this is hell. And like the other 1%, I'm like, I'm sorry for you because this isn't going to be great for you, but well done for not being right. fucked up. And in this, I was like, yeah, like sometimes it can actually be all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you're right about that. The setting at the beginning being just like such a genius move because it mm. does completely set him up as a nice guy, not in a like, oh, he's a nice guy kind of way, but genuinely is like a nice person. Like humane. Yeah. (laughs) And what I found so compelling about his performance is that he's clearly a little bit dumb. This guy's not the smartest guy in the world. He's really talented and he's really sincere, but he's just a little bit dumb. But in a way that like, that's what... (laughs) So I I went with uh, our mutual friend, Elizabeth, and we were talking about this and she agreed and then was like yeah and so he's not manipulative at all and i was like yes exactly and so a lot of stories about addicts which are obviously reflecting life is that you know they are very manipulative because you're addicted to this thing and you desperately need to get it and i felt that this was definitely not like an unrealistic portrait of addiction at all but that's not really what he's doing like he's not like they do have this one fight which is like very hurtful but it's not that he's manipulating her or consistently being awful to her it's just that he is clearly a damaged person and has this problem but really loves her and is trying to be nice to her and because like the conflict in kind of the the latter half of the film is like by this point Ali Lady Gaga's character has become famous and like the pep talk that the initial conversations they have and then like a pep talk that he gives her when she's first becoming famous is like, you really need to be true to yourself, which is the theme of like every fucking musical ever. But like, you know, you have to be true to yourself, not go and just make a bunch of dumbass pop songs about slapping people in the ass, which is what winds up happening because she gets a producer like every movie of this type ever. Um, but like he, he wants to transmit this to her but he's so kind of unpushy that he doesn't want to be telling her what to do. So he gives her advice, but because he is not wanting to be pushy and controlling, that then creates this situation where she has been pushed into this situation by other people. And that's like the tipping point. Yeah. Although it also is just a genuine, he likes his kind of music and she's not doing that anymore. (laughs) yeah but i think like it's i don't i don't feel like the movie is like oh lady gaga's character really wants to be doing slap me on the ass pop music yeah i agree but it's i think it is complicated in a way that is kind of interesting and hampered a little bit by the fact that this is where the movie is not as good and i think the main problem with that second half of the movie is that it's just there's too much plot for them to cover and so then they start rushing through things so the first half of the film is like the part when they're falling in love and she is starts like singing on stage with him and getting this rush of doing that but hasn't gotten like recruited by a manager yet and that that happens around halfway through it's a pretty straightforward trajectory right of like two people falling in love it's extremely compelling like you have this rush watching it i was so happy watching this part of the movie just like pure pure joy and then once she is on her own career track then they have to juggle kind of all of these different plot things and i don't think the movie is yeah. as because good while, at doing while that they have like the fame trajectory and the addiction trajectory um like jackson main up until the point where ali shows up 
he is being managed by his much older brother played by Sam Elliott and kind of the, the idea is like as the movie progresses you find out information about like their unhappy childhood the the reasons why Jackson is an alcoholic and that sort of thing and they have a fight halfway through so it's like you have this familial conflict and then addiction conflict and then also Ali's music career and that's three more plot lines on top of the love story that kind of like come into play towards the second half. And also, by the way, this film is 135 minutes long. <laughs> and does not feel that way, I thought. I thought it felt long, but not like, not uncomfortably long. But I was like, this film is long. <laughs> I've seen a lot of really long movies recently because I've been going to the film festival and some of them are, it was, were unbearable. And this one was so... Even in the second half, which I didn't like as much, was so just like pleasurable to watch that I definitely knew it was long, but it wasn't like I was sitting there like, oh God. Like, and also the, the, the songs are just great. So it's like if a, if a musical is long and the songs are good, like you just, you're like, this is great. Yeah, this is fine. I, exactly. <laughs> but this, the thing about the music is that I couldn't exactly, like, I do not like the kind of music that she winds up doing. So I was like, well, I'm judging this, right? So, like, but then how the, the film seems to be also, but then how much of that is, like, his perspective? Because she seems, like, very into being famous at a certain point. And then the movie doesn't editorialize that so much. It is editorializing, like, the SNL performance that I mentioned. It definitely mm. does not like that. Like, that's the low point of of everything going on with her. But um, I don't think it sort of articulates enough, or goes, not articulates, but, like, goes into enough what exactly is going on in her head, you know? Because the film, the film has, like, very strong opinions on stardom and authenticity and, like, being true to your art. And you're right that, like, in the latter... I mean, I feel like you are definitely meant to be like this trashy pop music is bad not because trashy pop music is bad but because it's like wrong for this character and that's part of the reason why Lady Gaga is a good choice because you know that Lady Gaga is not going to be like oh I hate horny pop music because that's literally yeah. like what her career is built on and she's amazing at it and she loves it but at the same time like this character is introduced to someone who's like always writing like you know meaningful lyrics in a notebook and that sort of thing I mean they're pop lyrics but the whole point is yes, like, yes I have this message I want to share with the world yeah um we haven't actually discussed yet, like, one of the most kind of talked about aspects of this movie, which is the makeup wipe, which which is not a scene that appears in the film. This is apparently something that appears in the previous films, but, like, in the early stages of the promo tour for this, this movie, um, there was this anecdote about when Bradley Cooper initially kind of had his meetings with Lady Gaga. He took a makeup wipe and washed off her face to reveal the Gaga beneath, you know. And I was just like, this is the dumbest and most garbage, like, cliche thing I've ever heard. It's like, oh man, it's like, you'll be so much realer without makeup. Which is nonsense for Lady Gaga, because the whole point of her, like, image is all construction and that sort of thing. And also, apparently it is literally a scene from one of the previous movies. Yes. Yeah, so, like, this movie has that sort of baked into it, but, like, in a much less sexist way. Because the idea is that when the film begins, Ali has already tried to make her mark on the music industry like she's already met with managers and stuff but she's never got anywhere because she's not hot enough and for anyone who's not familiar with Lady Gaga's public mythos this is just gonna seem fucking crazy because obviously when Lady Gaga was coming up in the real world everyone who's a fan of her knows that she previously was a songwriter she wrote music for people like Britney but she didn't get to perform her own music because studios were like you're not hot enough which is part of the reason why she built this really peculiar looking image because it was meant to combat the fact that she was quote unquote ugly but obviously she is very classically attractive 
and she just has like a slightly like bumpy nose (laughs) and in this movie they're like she's like my nose is huge and it's very difficult to like grasp this because obviously like women have loads of insecurities about their appearance and like it's perfectly possible for people to be like my nose is huge when it's not but like watching the movie it's just really like if you're not aware of the reality of Gaga's life it's just like this is so like just nonsense (laughs) I don't know I thought it worked because she's saying like I kept getting I got meetings they wouldn't listen to me and I found that plausible because she is very beautiful but the way she's made up in the beginning of the movie like she has her natural hair color I think it's her natural hair color which is sort of just this like bland brown color I mean it looks fine but like it's not you know remarkable she does have a big nose in a way that if you were meeting a normal person you would never be like her nose but these people in these positions right (laughs) in movie land (laughs) well right but i mean like people who run things like the movies and music like Mm -hmm. i mean as we know from what did happen to her right like they're insane but also he literally she's like i can never be famous because of my nose and he literally is like that's nonsense (laughs) because what she's doing is basically holding herself back with this excuse that like it's all because of her nose and like oh she's just scared right of doing anything did did Um, you see did you see five foot two the lady gaga documentary Because this was released on Netflix, I would say maybe six months ago, maybe a year ago. People really liked this documentary. I mean, obviously Lady Gaga fans liked it, but in general, I feel like it had quite a positive reception. And I watched it and I was like, just very puzzled by by that. Because I was like, so so the kind of the concept of the documentary is it's like, oh, Lady Gaga finally like showing her personal life and discussing, you know, how I think she she, she has a chronic illness, I think maybe lupus. Um, and like she was talking about like making her most recent album, Joanne, which is the one where she's all stripped down and like isn't wearing makeup and Mark Ronson produced it. And, and um, it's all about like her aunt who died and that sort of thing. And it was like just such a sort of like schmaltzy, like generic music documentary. And I'm like, yes, you're exposing your emotions but that doesn't actually make it a good or informative documentary. And also the whole thing was like, look at how, look at how Lady Gaga's wearing just a white t-shirt and a hat. And it's like, no. Whereas this is sort of the reverse of this because it's done exactly the same thing to the point where the costumes are, I think quite plainly Gaga's real life clothes or in a very similar style. Like if you have seen Five Foot Two, you will be like, this looks very similar to the type of clothes that she wears in this movie. Because it's like, play my t-shirt, it's like the hat, that sort of thing. But obviously this character has like, you know, the thing where she ties up her shirt, which is like a nice little characterization move and that sort of thing. But it just seems like these two films are a double bill, one of which is a really good, very skillfully made drama. And the other one is just like a hammy documentary that people really found overrated far too much. Well, Also, Joanne was a bad album. Yeah, it wasn't received well. (laughs) So... I mean, so much of the buzz around this initially was about her. Not being, wearing right. Well, and just like being, <laughs> I think she's really, really great in the movie. But I yeah, think she is, you know, so Elizabeth and I, we came out, we're kind of arguing about the pop stuff in the second half. And she found it kind of misogynistic that they were being dismissive of it. And it doesn't really matter that what we were what we were arguing about was that I was sort of pushing back because I was like knee-jerkingly defending the movie because I liked it so much. And she was saying that what we did agree on was that they sort of transition kind of too quickly into all of that because the movie is just trying to cover so much in that second half. And she was saying like they turn her into Lady Gaga too quickly in that second 
half. And I actually wasn't thinking about it that way at all. Like, I found her performance so persuasive. And also, she doesn't seem like Lady Gaga. I mean, it seems like she's doing pop music, but it's like, it's more just like she has become a generic pop star rather than a lyric based singer songwriter. Yeah. And you see, and also like her voice, because the thing that, that, the thing that kicks off her fame is her voice. Yes. But I think, I think I found her less engaging in the second half, partially because like the dress down version in the first half was so engaging. And it's not just the fact that like she has brown hair, the performance and what she's doing with the performance and what the movie gives her to do is really interesting and obviously very different from her public persona, which I was never that interested in anyway. Like, obviously I'm very aware of Lady Gaga, but like, I just, I don't Yeah, no, I was, I was, I was definitely the Gaga. Yeah. I was the Gaga fan. (laughs) And then once it becomes more about like, you know, she dyes her hair and she starts wearing fancy clothes and whatever, I was sort of like, you know, and she's running around with her like music industry stuff, which as you pointed out before we started recording, all goes like shockingly well. It's very rosy. Something that was at the back of my head for pretty much the latter half of this movie is that the point where she comes on and becomes famous is like she starts performing on stage with Bradley Cooper and then after that gets picked up by label and then gets this album and all this sort of thing. And I'm like, if like a famous man, especially like a famous country rock star, brings on his anonymous girlfriend that he picked up in a bar to sing on stage, people are going to fucking hate her. So like there would be such a, she would be like completely Yoko Ono'd. And then if she releases an album that's all like, oh, I'm horny. Like that's also going to be completely like, the, so So it's like, they have definitely got like a rose tinted view of how she would be received by the public. <laughs> yes. Because the target audience for her new album is not the audience that are finding her via her country rock boyfriend. But also like on top of that, like you were saying kind of the thing with the slight imbalance between the first and second halves is that in the second half, the pace is suddenly much faster and Lady Gaga's role is more montagey because you've got all this like really meaty kind of backstory trauma material with Bradley Cooper's character. But with Lady Gaga, it's kind of like this m- series of montages where it's like, oh, she's like, you know, recording her music videos or doing SNL or whatever. And then she'll like kind of do some like emotional support for her husband and that sort of thing. But I wouldn't say it's like she isn't given as much of a role because the film is about her. But the kind of timeline situation they've had to sort of mess around with it in order to have the film happen yeah i kept thinking like if there could have been some way to have it more focused around like one period of time which is more how the first half works i don't know if they could have managed it but um that was my only real complaint because again that first half like i literally just had a smile on my face like i was so like happy watching it And it sort of culminates emotionally, and the whole movie culminates emotionally, the highest point of the film, is, to to lead into your detailed discussion of this (laughs) song, is when he kind of drags her on stage to sing the song that she's written that she sang for him, which is the hit song of the movie that's going to win an Oscar. And you can see part of this in the trailer. It is such an electric 
moment that I literally was like like gasping for breath and it had like <laughs> full body chills. I'm not exaggerating. I was on the edge of my like, seat because the way the way it's shot is like they've she's kind of told him some of this song before when they first met and like they've workshopped it a little together and then he kind of basically writes a whole arrangement about for it without her knowledge. I realize this is slight spoilers. Apologies, listeners who've not watched the movie. And then he kind of invites her on stage without warning her beforehand, and he literally just like starts singing her song. And there's this agonizingly long period, which I'm assuming is like 20 seconds, but it feels like a thousand years where all of the cinematography is amazing and like the music is perfectly balanced and you're like waiting for her to finally make the decision to go on stage and sing with him. And it's like such a perfect moment. And then she goes on stage and wears it. I have I have a lot of thoughts about this song specifically because I just think it's, ugh, it's like a perfect, perfect song for this movie. It's like structured. I don't know. Did you... Do you have any additions before I jump in? <laughs> um, I I loved it. The song you can you can speak about its structural merits. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I I was very happy that I didn't listen to this song beforehand. Like obviously there is a clip of Lady Gaga like wailing in the trailer, <laughs> which I've seen a lot of people making fun of, but I very carefully only saw the trailer once. So I was like, I don't even know what the wail is. We, we know part of the song already because we hear her singing it just like a cappella in a very simple way to Bradley Cooper earlier in the film. But the way it's introduced in the movie is like I said, you, it starts off with like Bradley Cooper and his whole band playing it in a sort of more country rock style in front of this gigantic fucking audience in like some Madison Square Garden kind of place. And it starts off with him singing and then they have, you have to wait for her to show up and it's sort of like there's this period of building tension and when she starts singing, it's like, she's like, so-so. She's singing like reasonably well, but it's not like a performance where you'd be like, oh, this is a famous person in disguise. It's someone who's singing okay. And then the point where like she gets the bulk of the song is where the wail comes in. And it's like the equivalent of when you get the moment in like one of these trashy reality shows where like all of the judges spin around their chairs and they're like, <laughs> my God, you're gonna be a star. Um, and then you have the section where they're singing together. And then by the end of the film, she's like left him behind. It's literally kind of the whole structure of the movie compressed into this one song, which is him stepping back to showcase her talent. And it's like, yes, you've done it. Well done, Gaga. <laughs> you wrote this song. I think they wrote it together. Can you believe it? They're both going to win an Oscar for that. This movie is going to win many Oscars. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I thought she's listed as the songwriter. He's only listed as vocals. I Maybe I'm mistaken, but I am pretty certain that they are co-writers. Okay. Because the I have seen many jokes on Twitter about how they're going to both win Oscars for, for writing it. <laughs> Although maybe all those people are wrong too, but it's funny to think about, I must say. Yeah, it's really a feat. Like, it perfectly mirrors the film. And all the other songs, as we keep saying, are really great also, but that one is repeated throughout the movie and is just... And it's just like oh. it's just like a genuine belter. Yes. The actual lyrics of the song are not as meaningful as the structure yeah. and the tune. Which is a very interesting choice for a musical, I think. Because, like, by and large, like, the, even though you see loads of scenes of them writing lyrics together, I'm not, like, paying attention to the lyrics. Yeah. Pr- in particular. No. Because they're just like, oh, it's pop songs about someone falling in love. Like, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Should we take this moment to transition into our spoiler section? Yes, we are now going to discuss the end of the film. Uh, so if you don't want spoilers, uh, please leave. And uh, you can go, and, go over to Patreon and uh, listen to us talk about Venom. Yes. <laughs> um, so this... I knew the ending of this movie in advance because I have seen another of the Star is Born films, the one from the 1950s. 
And you had not, so you didn't know. I did not. And also, I, as this film was coming out, I was only aware of, like, the title of A Star Is Born. I could not even have told you who were in the previous ones until this year and people started talking about them. And I genuinely think it's a kind of a cultural differences thing because, like, no one in Britain knows what these movies are, whereas it seems like these films are cultural touchstones in America and everyone has, like, you know, I've seen people, like, talking online about, like, which was your first A Star Is Born? I went to it with, like, a couple of friends the other night and they were just, like, one of them, like, didn't even know what it was and the other one was, like, I now have heard of the previous ones. None of us had seen any of them. None of us knew what was happening at the end. And what happens at the end is the gentleman perishes. He kills himself. Yeah, at his own hand. He, there's, he commits suicide. I think in a different fashion in each one, but I've only seen the 1950s one with Judy Garland, directed by George Cooper, so I can't speak to the I mean, specifics. I mean, I was really shocked, like, even to the point where he actually did kill himself. I was like, well, I guess he might end up in hospital. Like, no, and it was like, no, he's no, dead. <laughs> he's, he's gone. Yeah, there was some, I saw some review that was sort of like, the relationship is so compelling and you are so invested in it that you start to even hope that maybe the end will be different, but it's not. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, no. So... I saw the 1950s one six years ago, so I don't remember it that vividly. I want to watch all the other three now. So there's one from the 30s, I think it's maybe the 40s, directed by William Wellman, and that was the original, although that was also based on something earlier. Like, this yeah, is just it was, such it was an one archetypal of these things story. Where it's like, yeah, it's, it's a remake of something else with a different title and like different songs added. Yeah. Um, and then there was one with Barbara Streisand in the 1970s that is purportedly extremely, extremely bad, that is largely just like a Streisand concert filmed. <laughs> and there's um, a Judy Garland one. Yes, yeah, so the Judy Garland one, which I have seen, is a very good movie. Um, it's very, very long, which is why I have not watched it recently. I kind of was like, I should rewatch that, and it's just, it's like three and a half hours long. It is so fucking long. And it's very good, but too long. And the tone of it is a lot different from this. So to my recollection, um, the man is, it's, he's definitely older than Bradley Cooper is in this. And Judy Garland is playing much older than the character she is in the movie. Um, but the character is younger. And so the vibe is just a bit different and also the man is just like awful <laughs> so she has much less agency like he kind of discovers her i think they're both actors not singers and really like creates her in a much more active way than in this movie whereas like bradley cooper discovers this woman but is more just like wow she's really talented and then she kind of does it herself except for the fact that she now has access to like being in front of a crowd right and then once Judy Garland gets famous in that version of this, her husband gets really, really jealous in a very unpleasant way. And in this movie, there's definitely a component of jealousy, but I don't think that's like the primary driving emotion. And um, it's interesting because Cukor, who directed that version, directed movies including The Philadelphia Story and Holiday and Gaslight and Born Yesterday and like was lots of really classic feminist titles and so i don't think that version is particularly like misogynistic like he definitely uh is aware of the dynamic is very sympathetic to her but the fact remains that like there's this kind of toxic thing going on and my understanding is that that's quite similar in the other two versions as well though i haven't seen them and in this i think 
he they just kind of fixed it. Like, it doesn't feel that way at all. And so I kind of remember watching the 50s one. I'm sure this is partially because it was so long. That when the guy finally kills himself, I was just like, thank God. Like, just let this be over. Like, you are so awful. Let her be free. Right? Because she's in this, like, really awful marriage. He walks into the sea and I was just like, goodbye. Like, sayonara. Very like, true to 1950s stardom. This seems very authentic mm-hmm. to what would have had, like, like the, the fucked up, like, chewed up starlets that yeah. got, like, screwed over by the industry. Mm-hmm. And, um, and in this, it, obviously, like, our conception of addiction has changed quite a bit in the last 60 years. And so, even though he is really, difficult and is making her life really miserable in certain ways like you are supposed to be sympathetic to him because he obviously is like in the throes of this thing um and then when he does wind up killing himself it's really awful and sad and it's not because he's so consumingly jealous of her right like i mean i don't remember exactly how it happens in the other one but it's it just it felt very different to me in a way that i thought was really well done um and i did not cry at the end but the reports I did not either, but I was also like the tears, final, like the final song. I think is like one of the less good songs. I agree. Like I was like, it's not bad, but I was just like, but like you know, whatever. Because the final scene is she is singing a tribute concert to her husband, and it's a song that he wrote. But like the fact that I was slightly bored during that song did give me time to ruminate on how much I like the title of the film <laughs> because I was enjoying that it's like it's in the passive voice. And at the end of the film, a star has been born. She hasn't fully birthed herself. And also it's not that great because like in the birthing process, she's now super famous, but she's isolated. They are they are soulmates. You completely buy into the idea that they're soulmates. And also part of the reason why he's so isolated is because the only people he's genuinely close to are people he knew from before he was famous. It's his brother and no one else because the band are not really characters because they're literally just played by musicians. So it's like, they're not really characters. And once he's isolated from his brother, then he only has Ali. Ali does have friends. Like she's close with her father and her father's group of friends um, because like she lived with him and they were all kind of socializing together when she lived with him. And also she has one friend um, from her job who is a recurring character, which I also really appreciated because it was like another way in which they were like, this woman has a social life. And also you can see that like Jackson Maine is going out of his way to make sure she's comfortable because he, like like her friend who's played by Anthony Ramos from um, from Hamilton goes with her like on the private jet and stuff. So it's like, oh yeah, you know, this is good. She's comfortable. She's got a pal with her kind of thing. But like she, she now literally only has her dad and this one friend left. And she's got this like terrible kind of Hollywood manager and everyone who she meets from now on is going to meet her as this pop star, Ali, and they're all going to meet her through an extremely inauthentic version of herself, which is being constructed for her first album. So it's like, she's famous now, but it's just really sad. <laughs> well, yeah, and I, I thought that final song was not the best song. And the first half of it, maybe, I was like, okay. And then the per- her performance kind of kicked in, and I was like, oh no, this is I mean, yeah, this she's is great. good. Lady Gaga's great. <laughs> and um, what works about it is that this guy was miserable for many reasons. Like he's has all these issues with his dad and he talks to a therapist at one point, it clearly predated being famous. He had these problems, mm-hmm. but the fame didn't help. Like that was a big contributing factor. And um, the movie itself is so unbelievably ambivalent about this whole thing. And then 
the last scene is her like performing in front of thousands of people and she's really good at it and she clearly is getting off on it also and not in like a a bad way it's just like this is her life now right and it's just it's really but she's also just gonna be miserable exactly well exactly because they both they were like a positive emotional influence on each other's lives and now she's alone and i was just thinking like no matter who she meets now it's just really hard for me to imagine them being with someone else Mm -hmm. which is a pretty rare genuine reaction to elicit from a romance from me yeah because either it's a happy ending or it's not happy ending where i'm like well whatever yeah but with this it's the very specific sort of like the end of his dark materials where it's like well you know you'll meet someone else and it's like will they though <laughs> <laughs> yeah the ending is sad in a way that is genuine and complicated which is also an impressive accomplishment so many things about this movie are an impressive accomplishment i'm very <laughs> I applaud Bradley Cooper for doing this. I thought that that last scene, even though I didn't love the song, managed to sort of tie the movie off in a great way. Yeah, the last shot is great. Did you? The s- fact that she's she's mourning and it's like a really sincere sadness, and also it's incredibly stage managed because she's wearing this like fucking ball gown mm-hmm. and performing in an opera house. <laughs> Did you hear about the huge um, picture of herself in her house that she has from Bradley Cooper? Um, I, I saw there was like a profile of her and it was like, oh, she has this huge picture of herself. But no, I did not. I, I'm not aware of the specifics. So I'm just going to have to find the actual article and read you the quote because I do not want to do the injustice of paraphrasing. So this is from an article in the New York Times, which we will link to. And the journalist who is uh, Rachel Syme, I assume is how you pronounce her name. Yeah. Went to her Lady Gaga's house and had what sounds like a very surreal afternoon, as you can imagine. And this, this little bit is, earlier in the afternoon, she showed me a room that was empty, save for a gigantic photograph of her own face, at least 15 feet across, in a gilded frame. It was a gift from Bradley, she said. It's the last frame of the movie. Do you know the scene? I did know it. And then she describes it. And I was just like, whoa. The thing is also, like, with someone like Lady Gaga, she's going to be aware that that's going to be like a... Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, she's aware that's going to be like a wild... It's like, you know, if you if you are a super famous celebrity and you're getting a profile done of you, you've got to do something crazy. But the fact... But, like, it, she didn't do it herself... Bradley Cooper gave this to her. It's, it's just so, so like, good. He just, he, the thing, it's like the fact that he like made this movie, which is clearly a masterpiece, and then also like says and does so much weird and or dumb stuff around it is like fascinating because the makeup white thing is just like I want to vom, and then there's no there's no like it's just <laughs> well, but the makeup white thing also is like so the press tour for this movie they have told like the same five anecdotes over and over and over and over As again. As is always the case. Yes, but to a to an extreme degree this in this case though. Like maybe it's just they're doing more press than usual, but I think they are being they're being extremely regimented. Like there's some serious discipline here. They want to win all those Oscars. They have made a game plan like seriously. And that is one of the ones that they have told repeatedly. So I think that there is a level at which they're like this is a reflection of the earlier movies and we've decided that this is a really great story and we're just going to tell it on, on, on. And so I think 
one wonders what the actual interaction was like versus like what they've decided is, you know, a great, a great story to tell. Yeah. Because Lady Gaga's probably been told about 400,000 times, what if, what if you were like more authentic and didn't wear makeup? Right. Like, <laughs> and clearly this time she was like, yeah, this sounds fine. I mean, it's just, but um, yeah, my prediction for the Oscars for this movie will end here is that it will absolutely without question win best picture and best actor and best actress. I think there is, I would bet money on those three and best song. Obviously. I mean like, duh. And then probably best director also, but there've been a lot of picture director splits recently. So that might go to like an artier film, like something like Roma or if Beale Street could talk and then screenplay. I just don't know enough about the other adapted screenplays yet this year because the screenplay is the weakest part of this movie even though it has many virtues that we have discussed the structure is just kind of tricky but we we will have a lot of months of watching bradley cooper and lady gaga accept awards and give speeches so look forward to that everyone that's gonna be a fun time for us i'll look forward to her outfits it's oh that it will be fascinating to see how she presents herself right because she's accepting she will be accepting awards for this but I mean, the thing you know. that was really like a relief and exciting was when they went to Cannes or whatever. And instead of her like promoting this movie, like, oh, look at how normal I am. She like showed up on a fucking boat wearing a 1950s bathing suit with her hair and pin curls. And it was like, thank you. But also I think that is a good strategic move because it reminds everyone that she is Lady Gaga rather than being like, oh, I look really normal now because that would make her too similar to the character. Oh, yeah. she does show up everywhere wearing a ball gown, it's like, well done, that is correct. <laughs> yeah, she definitely is not going to look like this. But I, she also can't look like too weird right because then, but she hasn't like, actually looked like the meat exactly. years were like 2011 yeah but there have been some kind of in between in between the meat dress <laughs> and like yeah. this this but yeah and she, but she also knows she has to look she has to look interesting right to because she's herself so i think she's gonna go for old hollywood glam yeah it's gonna be fun i think it'll be a fun award season we need this please <laughs> oh. yeah so, uh, great movie. Go see it. Mm-hmm. It will it will relieve your stress for at least two hours. <laughs> A brief time. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, go listen to our mini episode about Venom. A different type of yeah. film. Next week's episode will be about Maniac, yes. which we have already recorded, but we delayed because we needed to discuss this film ASAP. Yeah. Um, but important. Maniac, the Netflix TV series, you should check it out. We, we, we've discussed it. We enjoyed it. And then after that, um, I will be back from the London Film Festival. Morgan will be back from the New York Film Festival. So we will have so many details yes. on all of these serious dramas or independent but weird movies. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to seeing The Favourite. Oh my God. You're going to die. It's so good. <laughs> so good. Oh. Very different from this movie also. We have an abundance of riches this year. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you all for listening. As always, you can find us at www.overinvestedpodcast.com, on Twitter at overinvestedpod, and on Tumblr at overinvestedpodcast. Thanks. Bye.